My name is James Gleason, and I want to welcome you to the weekend teaching ministry of Sunrise Church here in Hillsboro, Oregon. Now, Sunrise is a church devoted to being a safe place to hear a life-changing message. And our vision is to lead people in a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. And so every weekend, we share a message of hope from God's Word, the Bible. Now, if you'd like to know more about discovering and growing in a relationship with the God who loves you, please take a moment to visit our website at www.isunrise.com. Now, from there, you can learn how to connect with the God who loves you. And you can learn how to grow with others along the journey of life. You can learn to develop a heart to serve the least, the last, and the lost. And finally, you can learn how to lead others to know Jesus Christ on this journey of disciples making disciples. And so now I invite you to follow along with our weekend message as you discover the heartbeat of God. Ten years ago, not only did we move into this building, into this facility, uh, I started going to Africa to train pastors. And in those ten years, I've been able to go to a total of seven countries. Now we're going to Cuba, which is not in Africa. If you're a geography teacher, please don't send me an email. Uh, but Congo, uh, Rwanda, Burundi, uh, just Kenya, Uganda, Tanzania. Great opportunities to train pastors. A couple weeks ago, we had Emmy Reheza here, who was able to preach for us and share what God's doing in his heart. He was one of the students a number of years ago back in Rwanda at Africa College of Theology that I got to teach. It's all exciting. But one of the things that I had to learn as I began traveling is that the currencies in every culture are different. And so I would keep currency and in my safe at home, I have a box with different currency uh, from different countries and all my passports and my Glock. No, just teasing. Um, That's Jason Bourne. Sorry. Wrong life. Um, but I do have an envelope, actually, of varying currencies because it's helpful to have some of the currency of the place you're going to, the country you're going to, when you go to that country. So you actually have some of the money. So I'll save a little bit of it and collect a little bit to bring back with me. So that, you know, if I need to make a phone call, need to hire a taxi or a boda boda um, motorcycle, which is like a death wish, to be honest with you. But I've got some here. This is uh, Rwandan, some Rwandan francs. Thousand, thousand Rwandan francs. Whoo, buck twelve. Um, so, uh, I've got some, a thousand Burundian francs, even less. Um, this one, th- this actually, uh, this is, uh, ooh, these, this is 200 pesos from Mexico. So this is pretty good. Going back in June, going to build a house there. These are pesos, this is five pesos from Cuba. These are convertible pesos. And, uh, these are ec- technically, you're not supposed to bring them out of the country. So report me after service. Um, this is an old, uh, Cuban peso. This one I like because it's a $3, three peso. It's, uh, got Shea Guevara on there. It looked hard to find that one. But, you know, it's, it's kind of fun to think about currency, but it's kind of odd. When you go to a foreign country, you have to take your U.S. dollars and you have to buy currency. It's kind of weird. It's, it's, it's just like buying and selling anything. And you want to find the best rate. And so you go to these places, these Bureau to Change or Forexes, and you go there and you find the rate and they list the rate. If you're using American dollars and the bigger dollars, you get better exchange rate on. And so you buy local currency. Then when you're done, you sell the currency back and you come home. And in much the same way as dollars, I'll say as, you know, at American, dollars translate into other currencies. The subject matter that we've been talking 
talking about the last few weeks into the end of the year. Generosity, it has a currency exchange as well. You can take generosity and exchange it in the different currencies. Because generosity is not only about money. I know we think about money when we say the word generosity. Oh, I gave money already. I gave it the office. Well, generosity is more than just money. Uh, We saw it as hospitality. We saw it as God's goodness and grace to us. We saw it as righteousness and how we treat other people. Do we look down on people that are more sinful than us or kind of revere people that are more righteous than us? Or do we treat everybody the same as God sees us? And so we're going to walk through this in the coming weeks. But the currency of generosity is more than just our treasures. It's time. You can be generous with your time. You can be generous with your emotions. You can be generous with your car. You can be generous with your home. Yeah, you can be generous with your bank account, and that's one of the aspects. And we'll talk about that today. But generosity is across the board. And so what we said is biblical generosity is this. Biblical generosity means living a radically generous life that is deeply unselfish in every area of life. So when we think about being truly generous, it is possible to be technically generous. You know, we could give money away. We could give a 10% of our money away. The first week we saw this Pharisee who went to the temple and said, God, I tithe my 10% and I fast two days a week. And he took some religious stock in that. We could be technically generous, but not be truly generous. But to be really radically generous means every area of our life that we are unselfish, that we give ourselves away in all aspects like Jesus did for us. And so today we're going to see the subject of generosity and money, but even more than that, generosity in the combination of money and time. So before we go to the text, I need you to do me a favor. I need you to pull out some money. So pull out something. It could be coin, like a quarter. It could be a dollar bill. Uh, you know, it could be a hundred. If so, see me afterwards. Um, I want to give you a thousand francs for that. Um, you know, just pull out some money. It doesn't, doesn't have to be a lot. You know, and if you don't have any money, pull out a credit card or I have a Home Depot card in my pocket if anybody wants to borrow that um, you know something and if you don't have it just slip your hand into the purse or the pocket of the person next to you they'll <laughs> gladly be generous with their money because it's just an illustration hopefully you get it back so you got to have some money in one hand okay grab some money now on the other hand I need you to grab your watch and if you don't have a watch grab your smartphone or whatever you use to tell time I've, I've got a Fitbit here so this is my timekeeping and my steps I'm at 5,015 steps already okay for the day so pull out a little bit of money in one one hand and your watch in the other or your timepiece in the other. Okay. And if you have a pocket watch, extra street cred for you. Okay. Really cool. So we got this right now. I don't know how you're going to pull your Bible because that's impossible now, but you could follow along. But we're in Luke chapter 16, the first 13 verses, page 798 in your chair Bible. But what I want to do is I want to look at one of the stories of Jesus, one of the parables of Jesus. Jesus uh, is really creative in his teaching. Uh, he, He was not the only one who who did that. Jesus wasn't the only communicator who used parables. In fact, if you look at the Gospels, Jesus used about 40 parables. In the teaching at the time of Jesus, the rabbis had a collection of about 4,000 parables they could pull from. But the cool thing about Jesus was when he spoke in parables, he did these twists and turns in the story that really opened up people's hearts, that flipped the story around in many ways from law to grace, and it just blew people's hearts and minds open. And the reason Jesus told parables was so that he could illustrate the point. Now, when I grew up, I heard a parable as this definition. 
an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. That's a good one. It really helps. But at the time of Jesus, one of the rabbis said that a, a sermon or a teaching without a parable is like a basket without handles. So a parable is a, a basket with a handle. It's a basket handle. It's designed to help you take it home or drive it deeper in your heart. And so Jesus was so good at this. And now Jesus speaks this parable to a group of people who loved money. But not only loved money, they thought that all their money was theirs. And so they loved their money and they used it accordingly. And so into this mix, Jesus speaks. Now he's speaking to religious people. He's actually talking about, in the context of the religious leaders, the Pharisees, the super religious people, the ones that look down on everybody else, and they loved their money. And I think it's true in America. We all love our money, religious or not. We're pretty religious about our money, right? We love our money. Into this context, Jesus speaks about a different purpose for our money. So we're going to take a look at this and start uh, at the very beginning of the chapter and work down to verse 13. So this is what we see in the first couple verses of Luke. We say Jesus told this story to his disciples. So we could say he's telling it to us, church people. Jesus is talking to you and he's talking to me. There was a certain rich man who had a manager handling his affairs. So let's stop for just a minute. There's a guy that's rich. We don't know how he's rich. We don't know how he got to be rich, but he's rich, right? Uh, he could be rich in land. And so he has to hire someone to take care of his land because he has a lot of acreage. He could be rich in money. And so he has to hire a money manager to take care of his investments. He could be rich in a lot of different ways. I mean, think about that today. Some of us, I mean, actually, according to the Apostle Paul, as he writes to Timothy, we're all rich. We are the rich of the world. But let's put it into context. Let's say you have a big, huge, fat investment account. And you've got that in stocks and bonds. And, and you need someone to help you with that, right? You can't do all of that yourself, especially the more and more money you accumulate. You need people to do the work for you so your money makes money for you. Or let's say you have a lot of property. At some point, you need a property manager to care for that, right? Because you can't be getting calls at four in the morning on every light bulb that's gone out, right? You need someone to care for that. They're like the middleman, all right? So this is what's going on. This guy's so wealthy, he hires a middleman, someone to care for his estate. All right. Now, one day a report came that the manager, just a manager, he's not the owner, he's the manager, was wasting his employer's money. Now, we don't know how, but he's skimming some off the top. You know, he's taking some under the table. You know, he's charging, you know, buck ten, but he's only paying a buck back, right? Somehow, he's abusing it. Somehow, word gets back to the big boss that this guy is extorting or exchanging his influence for his own gain and benefit. Now, I'm sure he's getting paid, but whatever he's getting paid, he doesn't think it's enough, so he's getting more for himself, right? So the employer called him in and said, what's this I hear about you? Get your report in order because you're going to be fired. Now that's pretty black and white. Jesus tells a story. It's not quite the three little pigs, but it's a story, right? You know, because there's some significance in this because you think about this. Having a job is pretty critical to our day and age, right? You don't have money. Where do you live? What do you eat? We all need a job. And you know that some of you have been fired before. Some of you have been let go. Isn't that just a nice way to say it? We let you go. 
and we shake hands and you go, right? <laughs> Some of you have met with HR recently, right? I've got friends who work for Nike. They, they got called in to meet with HR. That's not a good meeting when you have to get called into HR. Got friends who work at Intel. They got called into HR and they were given a package, a document to sign. There's no niceties about that. We have to let you go. Maybe in this day and age, not your fault, but we have to cut X percentage. And you are one of those lucky few that got cut. Go be well fed and happy with the money we give you, right? It's like, oh man, what am I going to do? I mean, this is my job. Some of my friends have been working there 10, 20 years in those places. And it's like, what do I do now? Well, that's where this guy finds himself. He finds himself with the tragic news that, hey, I'm found out. My boss found out and I'm going to be fired. I've got to do something about it. And so this is uh, how verse 3 plays out. It's kind of cool. He says, the manager thought to himself, now what? My boss has fired me. I like this. I don't have the strength to dig ditches. (laughs) And I'm too proud to beg. I like this guy. This is cool. Not that I would want him working for me, but he's honest, right? I, I don't have the strength to dig ditches. Can I just be honest? We can all dig ditches. If you have a good... Sorry, American work ethic. Dig a ditch, my friends. You know, go out there and work some job. Don't just rely on somebody else. I I grew up that way. I've dug ditches. I put up fence posts. I've done farming. It's really hard, man. You're exhausted at the end of the day, but it's good for you. This guy says, no, I don't have the strength to dig ditches. And I'm too proud to beg, so I'm not going to be standing on the corner with this sign asking for money because all those people are going to know me and I'm being embarrassed. And I don't want to do that. He goes, ah, I have an idea. I have a really good idea. Because I don't want to dig, I don't want to work, I don't want to beg. I know how to ensure that I'll have plenty of friends who'll give me a home when I'm fired. This guy's pathetic. He goes, I never want to really do real work. I want somebody to provide a home for me when I'm fired. Now, this is, this is, this is interesting. This guy comes up with an idea. Now, here's what happens. He has a moment. He has an epiphany. I'm going to be fired. I'm going to be without money. I'm not going to have a future. I don't want to work for myself. I don't want to do the hard work. I don't want to beg. I want to find myself in a position that when I'm let go, people will favor me and help me out. Okay? That's his ethic, right? But I like this. He comes up with an idea because he does have something. He has a little bit of time left. Just a little bit of time. And what he's going to do is he's going to leverage that time along with a little bit of his relationship, a little bit of his, of his authority that he still has, a little resources, a little money, manager's money, I mean the owner's money, but a little bit, and he's going to use it for his good. Take a look at this. This is, uh, this is fascinating. So he invited each person who owed money to his employer to come and discuss the situation. So he still has enough influence. Maybe he still has a badge. He can scan in the door or whatever. He can still get somewhere, right? So he comes in with the accounts and he meets with some people. He asked the first one, how much do you owe my boss? The man replied, I owe him 800 gallons of olive oil. So he's, you know, he had gone to Costco and taken out 800 gallons, you know. So I owe him 800 gallons of olive oil. It's a lot, right? I don't know how much that equates to, but it's pretty significant. So the manager told him, the one who's indebted, take the bill and quickly change it to 400 gallons. The guy is once again ripping off his boss. He's using his boss's money to benefit himself. All right. Now look what happens to the next guy. And how much do you owe my employer? He asked the next man. I owe him a thousand bushels of wheat, was the reply. Here, the manager said, take the bill and change it to 800 bushels. Okay, so this guy only has one thought. How do I use whatever remaining 
influence I have, a little remaining time, a little remaining money to make sure that I'm going to be okay. Now, it's completely unethical, right? I mean, he was already unethical, but now he's going down the path. I mean, you know, he's Bernie Madoff on one hand, but now he's ripping off everybody, right? So he's finding a way to just to the very end of the journey to beg, borrow, and steal everything he can to get himself to this point. Now, this is what Jesus says next. Check this out. The rich man had to admire the dishonest rascal for being so shrewd. <laughs> Moms and dads, if you're reading this story to your kids as they go to bed, you're sitting there going, wait a minute, is there more? To, is, did I miss something? This is not a good Aesop's fable moral tale, right? It's like, where's the, where's the guy gets punished in the end, right? You know, he's the doofus guy, right? He's goofus and gallant. You know, it's like story back and forth. It's like, wait a minute, Jesus... In the store, you're saying the guy did something right, did something quality, was some courage. What's what's good about what this guy did? And Jesus says this. It is true that the children of this world are more shrewd in dealing with the world around them than are the children of light, which is a subtle knock on you and me because we're the children of light. Now, here's what Jesus is saying is I'm not. Saying this guy did a good thing, but the manager came in and had to admire the dishonest rascal for being so shrewd. To which people are thinking, and there's got to be more. And Jesus says there is more because the people, this world, that's what they do. My people, the children of light. Here's the knock. They're not as smart (laughs) in those ways. They have a different purpose, a different focus. Now, now think about this for just a minute. I mean, you have a little bit of time, you have a little bit of money, right? Everybody does in this world. Everybody's got a little bit of time, a little bit of money. Whether it's a Hollywood thing or it's a New York thing, it's a Wall Street thing, whatever it is, whatever you're pursuing in life, Jesus says, you know, the people of this world, they get it. This is their one go around. This is the only world they're living for. And so they're going at it with all gusto, right? And they know how to maximize everything they have because there's this deep inner realization that this is all I have. And so they figure it out and they do a really, quote unquote, good job at that. But for my children, it's different. Now you think about this. Why are we surprised when the Wall Street bankers rip off widows? Why are we surprised when the Bernie Madoffs are exposed? Why are we surprised when the Harvey Weinsteins are found out? Why are we surprised when the Matt Lowers are revealed? Why are we shocked? Now, I know I'm saddened, deeply saddened for the victims, the people that have been abused. Unbelievable sadness for that. And there's a sadness for the perpetrators because in a bigger scheme, that's their life. You know, it's pretty sad if you ask me. Um, but, But why are we shocked? That's how the world spins, my friends. That's how it turns. That's what we see on television. You know, entirely not justifying any of that. But that's how it wins in a movie, right? That's how it works on soap operas. That's how it works in the music. That's how the world actually turns. And now people are found out and we're shocked. Why would we be shocked? That's how the world works, my friends. That's how it gets along. It crawls. Over one person to the next to get to a higher spot. It abuses one person to the next. It rips off one person to the next. It steals from one person to the next to get what you want. Because this is all people have. 
There should be, and the children of light, the sons and daughter of light, there should be a sadness as we hear these things. Obviously because of the context and everything going on. The brokenness, the pain, the abuse. But there also should be a sadness that this is how the world turns. And it's not supposed to be this way. It should ache in our heart that the world is broken. The Bible calls it sin. And as, as the, sun spin, uh, the earth spins around the sun and the sun for us spins around, every day it's just more sin, it's more sin, it's more sin. And why are we shocked? Why are we shocked when, you know, atrocities around the world happen? Why are we surprised when terrorists blow up and destroy? Just outright slaughter hundreds of people. I know it's painful. I know it should break a heart. But why are we surprised? Because people are only living out what they think is right. As wrong as that is. And you and I as children of light, we're wiser than that in the sense that we have this information that people don't have. And that should cause us to ache for people that are hurting and broken. Not to have any arrogance or superior attitude because far be it from us to ever have any corn on the market on anything, right? Jesus says that's how it works because that's all they have. And you know, if you're here today and and you're not a follower of God, man, I hope you go for everything because all the pleasures of the world, they're there for you and that's what you're going to get. And hopefully one day you'll wake up and realize there's actually more. (laughs) And now's the day to exchange it for more. The, The rest of us, you know, we live in this world where we understand that this earth, this existence is just temporary and there is more afterwards. So how we live today will affect tomorrow. For the rest who believe there's no tomorrow, of course you're going to live out whatever you want to live out. Why wouldn't you? But maybe one day you would realize there is more. That's, that we do live forever somewhere. Every one of us lives forever somewhere. I like that C.S. Lewis quote. I'll kind of paraphrase it. Where he talks about God and his relationship to us. He says to the Christian... The Christian says to God, thy will be done. Meaning we bow before God and say, God, I want your will in my life. I submit my life to you. You're now Lord. You're my savior. But to the the non-Christian, the unbeliever, God says to them the same words we say to God, thy will be done. He's not going to push himself on you. He's not going to shove himself down your throat. He's not going to break that volition of your will. He's going to try to win you to himself. But if you go to the end of your days pushing him aside, well, that... That's what you want. And according to scripture, that's what you receive. Now, I don't, I don't like that part of the Bible. I really don't. If I had a black marker, a highlighter, <laughs> you know, I'd take out that last part of Revelation because it's, it's horrific. It's, it's, it just, it leads me to cry to think that the place created for Satan and his angels called the eternal lake of fire, that people will be tossed there because they've rejected God. They push God away. I don't like that. But that's as true as John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever, whosoever believes in him will receive eternal life, won't be condemned. You know, one day we'll all live forever. Which way? Jesus is saying here, the people of this world, they've got something figured out and they're going for it. But my people have something else going for them. And let's go on with the text. Look what he says here. Here's the lesson. He's talking to us now, children of light. He says, use your worldly resources to benefit others and make friends. Then when your possessions are gone, they will welcome you to an eternal home. What Jesus just said is this, is that now you and I, we have to use a little bit of time that's left and a little bit of resources that's left, money and opportunity and relationships and whatever else we have to make a difference for eternity. But look how he says it. 
He says, by making friends. Now, what's going on here? This is so cool. This is such a beautiful thing Jesus says. Um, He'll continue it on in just a moment. But think about this. The only thing that truly lasts forever are people. We will last forever. Now, not in these bodies. Thank you, Jesus. Okay. But we will last forever. All right. And, And everybody lasts forever. We are not physical beings having a temporary spiritual experience. We're spiritual beings having a temporary physical experience. And one day there will be another day and we will live on. And so what Jesus says is that use your time and your money and your influence and leverage and everything you have, everything you have, all the talents, everything I've given you, use that to win people for eternity. Make friends for eternity because that's the only thing you're going to be able to take into heaven. I love how Randy Alcorn says in his Treasure Principle, Alcorn's a great author and written a lot of good stuff, but it's so poignant. He says, you know, you can't send it, or you can't take it with you, but you can send it on ahead. I love that. And the only way to send it on ahead is by treasure in heaven. And we're talking about people here. Win friends for eternity is what Jesus is saying. Because, and now imagine this, you get there that day. I don't know what this is going to look like for you. I don't know. We have pictures and, you know, maybe a kid saw it. We're not sure. Um, but the fact is, is that we will walk into eternity one day. And can you imagine what's going to happen when you're mobbed by a crowd of people who come up to you and embrace you and say, thank you, thank you, thank you. You went to Cuba and you shared the gospel with me. You went to India and you shared Jesus with me. You gave and your pastor went to Rwanda and trained pastors who then went out and preached the gospel. You served at the shelter. And when you served, I saw Jesus in you and I responded. You gave to the mercy fund. You went to me. I was your neighbor. You didn't even know me. And I was hungry and you fed me. And now I'm here because of that. You participated at church and you did something that was significant. I am now welcoming you into the eternal home. Will anybody welcome you into the eternal home? Will anybody know your name? Will anybody praise God because he used you to reach them? Well, have you used your time? Have you used your resources for you? Or have you used them for the kingdom of God, for the eternity that we will walk in one day? Whatever it is, the way you sang, the way you served, the way you used your hands, the way you cooked, the way you communicated the message, whatever it is. Will anybody be able to say, I'm in heaven because of you? Now that is worth everything, Jesus says. This shrewd rascal, this money manager, he figured a way to use whatever was left, which wasn't much for him, and to leverage whatever influence he had, which was a little significant, and he used it, and all the the owner could say was, man, this guy figured it out. To which Jesus says, have we figured it out? Have we figured it out? That all we have is this, a little bit of time, I don't know how much time, But are you using that time to win people for eternity and a little bit of resources, money, influence, whatever it might be, possessions to win people for eternity? Because all that matters is winning people for eternity, my friends. That's all that matters because that's where we're going to go is into eternity with God. Bible describes that as heaven on earth, the end of the book recreates heaven and earth and he's with us, dwells with us or apart from God and how the end of the book describes it. As an eternal lake of fire and punishment because we all deserve that. And none of us get out of that unless we take the free gift of Jesus, which is forgiveness of sins. He took it on the cross for us. Why wouldn't we say yes to his payment for our debt? 
And so that's what Jesus is saying. But before he closes, he wraps it up with some pretty powerful words. Let's take a look at this. If you're faithful in little things, you'll be faithful in large ones. And again, it's like, okay, Jesus, where are you going with this? Because you were just talking about this shrewd guy and then about people going to heaven. If you're faithful in little things... You'll be faithful in large ones. But if you are, if you're dishonest in little things, you won't be honest with greater responsibilities. And if you're untrustworthy about worldly wealth, okay, now we're getting it. Who will trust you with the true riches of heaven? I have no idea what the true riches of heaven is, but it sounds awesome if you ask me, right? And this is what Jesus is saying. If you want to handle the true riches of heaven and you want to be found faithful for that, it's a test. In fact, all of life is a test. How you use your money, how you use your time, all that's a test. If, if you want to be found faithful enough to earn greater responsibility in heaven, greater reward in heaven, whatever that looks like, then you have to be faithful today in the here and now. Because what you have is very little. It's really little. It's, it's really not much. But what I want to put in your hands is huge. But you have to be found faithful in the little if I'm going to make you ruler over much. My wife and I uh, do this thing we, we call parenting by the funnel. And um, we just shove food down our kid's mouth in a funnel. No, um, parenting by the funnel is when they were young, um, we, you know, we were pretty strict. We were pretty you know, disciplinarians. We, we had very little options for them, right? You know, and, and yet as they grew older and showed more responsibility, we loosened the restrictions. And as they got older and they were getting more, they're getting monsters. They're tall now. They're huge, you know, and then we give them more and more responsibility as they show themselves responsible. We get to the point where we give them the keys to the car, you know, we give them the passwords, we give them the things, we give them the money because they've proven themselves faithful. That's what Jesus is saying. I put you in charge of a little bit, whatever you've got right now, your little bit of time, a little bit of money. And I want to see. How you use that. Because if you're faithful in that, which is the stuff of earth, I will put you in charge of so much more, which is the stuff of heaven. And that, my friends, whatever that means, we want to be responsible in that. We want to hear, like Jesus said in Matthew 25, well done, good and faithful servant. Well done. You've been faithful with little things. Now I'm going to put you rule over much. Come and share my happiness. So what, that's what Jesus is saying. And so the reality is that everything we own is a tool. And the small stuff of the earth, it's not really small. It's actually big. Because verse 12, he says this. And if you're not faithful with other people's things, bingo, that's it. None of us own anything. That manager... That was us. We're, the, we're not the owner. We're the manager. If you're faithful with other people's things, if you're not faithful, why should you be trusted with things of your own? In other words, when you walk this earth with your time and your money and your resources, if you come to Jesus and say, it's not my time, God, it's yours. What do you want? How do I redeem the time? It's not my money. It's yours. It's not my opportunity. It's not my influence. You gave it all to me. How do I utilize that for you and your kingdom? For the stuff that'll last forever, which is people. Everything we have is a tool. Everything we have is a test. One day we're going to stand before God, the giver of everything, and be accountable to what we did with what he gave us, which was always his in the first place. It doesn't really matter how much you have, whether it's big or little. What you do with it is what counts. Verse 13, then Jesus wraps it all up. This is the bottom, bottom line. For no one can serve two masters. Ah, oh, that's the, really the issue here. Two masters. And they are masters. 
One's a loving master, one's a hard master. For you will hate one and love the other. That's pretty strong. You will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. To which a lot of us would say, Jesus, those are not mutually exclusive. (laughs) You know, I can really enjoy my money and my time and I can still come to church and worship you. And to which Jesus would say, you really don't get it, do you? Because if you come and bow before me, you're enslaved to me, you're a servant of mine, and I'll reprioritize everything. The option is to bow before money, possessions, time, purpose, whatever it might be in life, and you will discover that that will take you down the road that leads to hell. And you might enjoy it on the way down, but that's where it's going. Why don't you live your life in such a way that whatever you have is really God's and he's given it to you because you will be devoted to one and despise the other, not like it less. You will love God and love money. No, it's just not possible. You'll love money and you'll hate God. So which one is it for you? You can only have one master. You can only have one desire of your heart. Everything we own is a test. Everything we own is a tool for God. Really, it comes down to this. Everything we own is a trademark because there's a stamp on our heart that reveals to whom we really belong. Truly, to whom we really belong. And really, the the test that God puts in our path relates to money. I mean, there's a lot of tests he might put in our path. But the big one is money. Jesus says it over and over and over again. I can tell your heart by your money. In fact, if I want to find out where your heart is, I just want to go to the treasure because connected to what you love is a little string that goes to your heart. And that's all I need to do is find out what you love. And that's where your heart is. And to which we argue with Jesus and go, no, I love all that stuff, but I love you too, Jesus. It's like, no, that's not how it works. You love me 100 percent and I reprioritize everything or you still love other things more than me. And you know what? Surprisingly, Jesus doesn't like second place. He just doesn't like second place. The one who died on the cross for us doesn't deserve second place. He deserves the only place, the throne. There's one more thing about uh, traveling with money that I've come to realize is that... um, So I just came back from Rwanda and I was, you know, able to exchange some money back into U.S. currency. Um, I did it with somebody that was traveling and, and I got a decent rate. But you, you can go to these places, these Forexes, Bureau of Changes, and you can go there. And you can see the buying and selling. And you figure it out. And you always lose money, you know, in the deal one way to the next. Um, but what really matters is that before, my friends, before you leave the country, not at the airport, before you leave the country, you need to convert your money back to U.S. dollars. Because you know what this is worth? Nothing. This is funny money. I mean, if I go to Starbucks and I say, here's a thousand Rwandan in francs, I'd like to buy a caramel macchiato or stretto pole. Um, they would say, I want some real money. Oh, this is real money. Not in this location. Well, how about this? Would you take some Cuban money? Nope. Not if, unless we're in Havana, you know, it's not going to work. Um, one day you'll get to heaven. One day you'll get to eternity. And the exchange has to be made beforehand. And there's no time for exchange after the fact. 
Because all of our possessions, all of our time, all of our pursuits, if not directed toward God, will be worthless. The Bible says it will be burned up, actually. And then what will you take? What will you have when you get there? You know, for those of you who are not followers of Jesus, you know, you have an opportunity today to respond accordingly, to say, okay, I get it. I, I, I see that. I, this is my life. Man, if, if you reject God, I mean, you, please live the best life possible. Go for everything. Enjoy every pleasure there is because that will end one day. And then you'll be accountable for all your life. And the Bible says the only path for you at that point is separation from God and eternity. The Bible calls that hell. Eternal lake of fire. But that's because you choose that. Or, and and I know a lot of us in the room, myself included, we've chosen to follow Christ to receive his forgiveness of our sins. Now we have an eternal destination, which is heaven, which is a relationship with God for eternity. The pleasures of God, the presence of God, which is awesome. But for us, he says, what are you doing with your time and your money? Now, is it for you still? Are you confused? Do you have two masters again? Because it doesn't work that way. Which master do you have? And you better figure out the exchange now, because once you get there, your money's worthless. Let's pray. Father, I, I thank you for the words of Jesus as, uh, as, wow, as fascinating and crazy as they are. Because they remind us that the only thing that matters is eternity. The only thing that matters is, is people, is, is human beings, spiritual creatures that will last forever. God, I pray that you would move in our heart to go home and ask the question, what am I doing with my car? What am I doing with my home? What do I do with my bank account? What am I doing with my time? Am I leveraging that? Is everything I own for me or is it God for you? And once, I know this, God, once we release it into your hands, you know, you, you let us become the manager of it, the steward of it. And then we get to use it in a way that honors you, Lord. And then we get to see the blessings of that into eternity. God, move in our hearts to reprioritize, to make the exchange today. And God, for anyone here that is not truly a follower, you know that heart. You know that person here. You know that maybe they're here for the first time or they've been playing the church game for years. God, you know their heart. May they come to terms with the fact that one day it'll all be over. And that's when they'll be bankrupt. They won't have anything to offer, Lord. And they'll have rejected you for eternity. God, may that be changed today. May they exchange their life, their love for you and receive salvation through Jesus. You say we do that when we come to believe in you, when we trust in you, receive you as our Lord and Savior. You wipe our sins away. We just have to acknowledge it. We have to confess you as Lord. We have to believe in our heart that God, you raised Jesus from the dead and we'll be saved. May that happen today. Lest we not even make it to tomorrow. Who knows? We thank you, God, for your love and your just unrelentless calling of us and pursuing us for the truth. Keep speaking. We pray in your name. Amen.